0: is Michael Moore and you're listening to Rumble.
1: Michael Moore has been running around for decades promoting policies that would wreck the economy.
0: And that was Rush Limbaugh who passed away this week. I can't think of anybody who did more elevating the hate, elevating the racism, the misogyny. Go down the list. Over the past 30 plus years, she's longer than that, I think. A lot of you have parents, relatives, people that uh, listen to him like a religious experience every day. East Coast time, it was noon to 3 p.m. He had a lot to say and did have a tremendous brainwashing effect on a lot of people. Improved. Trump learned this. The best Trump probably considered him a mentor. He Learned that the best way to get ahead is to lie. I uh, I was a favorite topic of Rush's for all those years, starting really almost really back it'd be thirty years ago with my first film, Roger and Me, and um, I just kept. I, I, I used to try to keep his his rants about me because they thought they'd make a nice archive someday but then it just got to be so many i gave up on the project uh so it just uh i was a, a a recurring character on the rush limbaugh show i'll, I'll just give you a few examples the, this one here that you just the beginning of it which you heard just now i believe is his last this past year his last uh Bit of talking about me, and I just want to play another 20 seconds of that. You can only take so much of this. I'm, we're not going to do the whole show on this. We got, I got some important things to talk to you about, but um, uh, let's just go back. I'll give you a little bit of, of uh, rush through the years here. I promised you, like just a minute or so of this. Uh, let's listen to the rest from 2020, uh, Rush Limbaugh talking about
1: me. We'll find out just exactly. How blockheaded the people on the left are that we're dealing with and that we're going about dealing with them in the entirely right, wrong way. We can't deal with them logically because they're not, they're not using any semblance of mental acuity to arrive at whatever they believe. They are strictly the recipients of propaganda and that's it. They can't tell you why they think what they think. When you challenge them, that's when the insults start aimed at you. You're a racist. You're a bigot. You don't know what you're talking about. They can't defend what they believe unless they have had some propaganda. They think that they using logic on them is a waste of time. If you're debating them on Twitter, forget it. It's a total waste of time. You're not even on the same wavelength with these people because they're not using thought. They're not using any brain activity whatsoever, other than memorization of propaganda.
0: The next one is uh, Rush uh, talking about myself and uh, Jesse Jackson. This comes from year 2011, Rush Limbaugh.
1: You know, these guys who keep calling for civil war and revolution, Jesse Jackson, Michael Moore, they better remember all they've got is fire hoses. They can't compete with us. Their fire hoses not going to intimidate us.
0: That's right. We only have hoses, Jesse Jackson and me. Fire Fire hoses? One hoses? What kind of hoses did he say we have? It, it, <laughs> Actually, I think history uh, will show that his side, the right wing, the bigots, the fascists, have always been the ones with the fire hoses, hosing down the defenseless. Uh, this last one's from also from uh, 2011, Rush talking about my fight for the people in Wisconsin.
1: Every hard-working American family I know is led by a long-haired, maggot-infested Michael Moore fan bust in from out of state to raise holy hell shutting down the Wisconsin State Capitol building while chanting, this is what democracy looks like. The left is imploding. We see it in front of our eyes. We're seeing it around the world.
0: And there you go. I guess that's our, our tribute to our Limbaugh. I don't like to speak ill of the dead. Um, I think he made it quite clear who he was and how he lived his life. and I'm sure his family and you know, his friends miss him, and we won't. But that's the worst I'm going to say about it at this point. I feel bad for this country that we have so many tens of millions that bought into this. So sad. Um, sadder than anything, really on some level and the way that ignorance was encouraged you know the way that stupidity was fomented you know before you get to to hate somebody you first have to be ignorant of them or of the issue whether it's health care for all or whatever and his show was a daily daily place where people could go to become more stupid and more ignorant. And that just grew and grew and grew. But first, you have to be ignorant in order for them, the second phase of their mission is fear. Because you're afraid of of what you don't know. You don't know a group of people. You don't know a particular issue or an ism. Then you become afraid of it, and the fear reaches a certain level, and then phase three kicks in, hate. Then you hate it. Then you hate them. And that boils and boils, and it's fed every day at noon, noon to three. It's fed and fed. It's fed on Fox News. It's fed on all these. And then finally, phase four occurs, from ignorance to fear to hate to violence. And we got an awful dose of that last month when, for the first time ever, our own citizens attacked our capital. The first time ever, our own citizens tried to attempt a coup of our democracy. Ignorance leads to fear. Fear leads to hate. Hate leads to violence. That's the equation. That's what we now have to deal with. And the stupider that people can become, the better. The better that those in power can manipulate them and can control the situation. And my friends, you can't get more stupid than the state of Texas. I mean, it is tragic what we're witnessing this week in Texas, but it is the result of of leaders there who I don't think are so stupid. I think they know exactly what they've always been doing is to try to make their own people stupid by having a shitty education system, by doing things like trying to control our textbooks, not just in Texas. You know the story, right? That, that because Texas buys so many textbooks, no textbook publishing company will publish a, a school textbook without getting the pr- approval of the Texas Board of Education and their book committee, their book approval committee. So if they don't like something, they say that has to come out. And If it doesn't come out, then they don't buy the books. They don't buy the books. There just goes, you know, a huge chunk, maybe 10, 15% of the profits of a textbook company out the window. They're not going to let that happen. So for decades now, they go to Texas first, they get approval of what's in our textbooks for the whole country. And then the rest of us have to read what Texas wants their students to read. Did you know this? Look, look the story up. We should, do a, we should do an episode on this someday. Maybe a lot of people don't know this. I was on the Board of Education back home. So I'm, I've heard this and known this story for many, many years. And that's how you help increase the stupidity of the country. So because we, the rest of the country, Have to read what our kids have to read in their textbooks, what Texas wants us to read. The dumbing down of America is helped by this. And dumbing down is what Texas is all about. Now, I need to say this because there's a big part of me as I've watched this happen with the weather this week in Texas. It's just like you are the state that keeps voting for Republicans, you're a big Trump state. You're a state that you support the politicians that say climate change is a hoax. It's not real. And you reward them by reelecting them over and over again. Your, your state representatives and your senators to the U S Senate. Yes. Right. We all saw the pictures of Ted Cruz trying to sneak off to Cancun and he got there. He got there, but then the word got out that he wasn't going to stay behind with everybody else and suffer. He put the family on the plane along with himself down to go down to Cancun. And then it, it kind of came out and then he had to lie and say, oh no, I was just taking the kids down there because they wanted to be with their friends. Come right back. So he was forced to come back the next day. But he thought people were, would be stupid enough. At least in Texas, maybe he thought that was right. Yeah, they would be stupid enough to buy that. He was just doing it for the kids. But I want to say this because as angry as I can continue to be, about the state of Texas and the politicians it gives us. You need to know something and I need to be reminded of something about Texas. Just like we saw Georgia in one way, but that was the old Georgia. We didn't really understand that Georgia in the last decade or two had become 33% African-American. That Georgia was a different place. And and that, and what we don't understand about Texas is we have, I believe, four states now where whites are no longer the majority of the state. You can probably guess them, right? Hawaii, obviously, is one. New Mexico is another, which you can probably figure that out because the clue is in the name of the state. New Mexico. California this past year. Uh, White people became the minority. And then finally, Texas. Texas. You probably wouldn't have thought of that, right? Because, again, we have this image of these don't mess with Texas, you know, dudes in their hats and all this kind of nonsense. But the truth is, is that 57% of Texas is brown or black or Asian or something that's not white, 57% white, I mean, white, white, white people make up 43% of Texas. That's it. Now that's a lot. Once you sprinkle in some voter suppression, once you do things to help um, create a situation where whites continue to be elected and reelected and people like Trump are voted for a state that gives us not one, but two Bushes. um, Then, then you sort of, you can understand why a state that has so much racism and stupidity gets to be this way, but it's because the people of color don't hold the power but they hold the power demographically 57% out. And, and this is what white people are so upset. A lot of white people, I should say, not everybody. Cause you've got, always got a good, strong percentage of liberal to progressive um, citizens, even in, and especially in a place like Texas, but white people know time's up. And so, as long as black and brown people there are on the lowest rungs of the economic ladder, don't have access to the health care that white people have um, are, are still being paid a minimum wage that is not a living wage as long as as all of that occurs, then black and brown people don't have the power to fix things and white people continue to do the stupid shit like, like not encase their electrical power stations in any kind of cement or anything to protect it from the elements, be it a hurricane, be it a snowstorm. I mean, think about this. How, I mean, when you see a state where where at least the majority of the people that are, are voting and the majority of its politicians say climate change is a hoax, And they get hit by hurricane after hurricane, or in this case, zero-degree weather, as it was in the Panhandle. Um, And even way down in Houston, I think it was less than 20 degrees. Over and over, they get hit by the weather, and they don't even want to consider what might be going on. You almost want to say, okay, you want to live that way. Have at it. Good luck. See ya. Don't want to be a... Except they have children. It's our moral responsibility to protect them. And we know that the poorest people in Texas are going to be hit the hardest when things that happen like what happened this week happen. The people that are black and brown are going to get hit the hardest. So we have to have huge compassion If I were Biden, I'd I'd get on a plane and go down there right now and say, look, I've I've seen the situation here. Um, We're going to do everything we can to help you. And then we're going to have to fix some things. Even if your stupid leaders don't want them fixed, your stupid racist leaders, uh, sorry, we're going to fix it for you. Watch Texas turn blue in the next election if Biden and the Biden administration does that. Because they've had the shit kicked out of them this week. It's just awful. I saw the trucks pulling up with those water bottles like in Flint, you know, pulling up with, because there's no water. Why isn't there water? Because water needs electricity. Got You gotta, The pumps need electricity to pump the water. You know, all the, the Fox News going off on you know, solar and, and the wind and all this. Well, yeah, I um, you need to say to people that you can't transmit the wind and the solar if you don't have electricity or some kind of natural gas plant powering and backing up the wind and the solar. It doesn't work without it. You have to use fossil fuel. Everybody should know that by now. It doesn't just happen on its own. So, Texas, depending on which numbers you want to believe, is it's about half natural gas. About Close to 20% solar and wind. And then another maybe 20% with uh, between coal and nuclear. And those numbers change all the time, but I'm, I'm just giving you the, the rough estimates of it. So 75% of solar and wind did go down, not just because the windmills froze or whatever, but because they, they need the backup of the electric plants to produce the electricity to help maintain them transmit the energy and as a backup, if the wind stops, then the electric part has to kick in. If the sun doesn't shine, there's no solar the sun hasn't been shining this week. So they have to have the backup plant. So, so obviously yes, yeah, solar and wind got hit the hardest because uh, solar and wind can't operate without fossil fuels. That's We've talked about this a lot on this before and i uh, sorry that otherwise good people, uh, but who've taken too many grants and too much money from the wealthy, from Wall Street, from the energy companies. Uh, they've they've sold the country, sadly, of the wrong bill of goods when it comes to our environment and protecting our environment. And we're that much farther behind now in saving planet Earth. I shouldn't say saving planet Earth, because I think the Earth in the battle between the Earth and the humans, I'm afraid the humans are probably gonna lose. The Earth has a has a way now for quite a few quite a few years. Of outlasting anything that would try to hurt it. But stupidity reigned. And this Texas remember the Alamo, the independence, we're 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 not even a state. You know, they don't call themselves a state. They're a republic. It's called the Republic of Texas. Like they've never really, really wanted to be part of this, even after stealing so much from the Mexican people. But but somewhere along the line, they got they were in the they're part of the United States. Long enough too to have slaves, be a slave state, be part of the Confederacy for the Civil War, and and in this case with energy, they decided to have their own grid. So there's a East Coast grid and there's a West Coast grid. That's how the electric situation works in this country, except for Texas. They 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 hate the federal government. They don't want. They don't really like the idea of the United States, and so they wanted their own Republic of Texas grid, and they got it for just about the entire state. The little piece of the panhandle that's not part of it, there's a little piece of far eastern Texas, and then there's El Paso. They're all part of either the west or east coast grids, except the bulk of Texas is not. And so when you go down, you have no interdependency with the other grids. That's the end of you. And the news came out. Here, I think last night, it was they were talking about they were actually just seconds, maybe minutes away from losing the entire grid. If that happened, it would take them at least a half of a year to rebuild, which means there would be no electricity for six months. Which means there would be, in addition to a whole bunch of other things, no water in your home. And that, my friends, would have created it a calamity of proportions we don't even want to think about. The human body cannot go without water for more than four days. That's it. That's how we're constructed. We can go without food for almost 40 days. But water, four days. And then we start, the body starts to shut down. I've talked about this a long time ago here, not a long time, I mean, we've only been doing this for a little over a year, that the the grids, the two big grids, the East and West Coast grid, I talked about the solar storm that happened in 1859. I'm sure you remember this story. In 1859, uh, a solar storm got through our atmosphere. And as a result, well, we didn't have electricity then. There, there were... There were there were no electrical lines or whatever, but we did have the telegraph, and that did operate with the principles of conductivity. And it fried it fried the telegraph system in the country. And it took a while to to rebuild it, but they rebuilt it. We've been due for one of these solar storms to get through our atmosphere now for some time. Scientists have tried to warn us about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Republicans don't want to spend any money on infrastructure, so they don't want to pay the money that we need. We need a backup grid across the whole country for if the, if the actual grid goes down, we have a backup to turn on because again, that solar storm that fried the telegraph system in 1859, if that got through now, it would fry, it could fry the East coast, the whole East coast grid could go. And they, they predict scientists that it would take about a year and a half to rebuild. You're going to go a year and a half without water. You're going to go a year and a half without any electricity with the inability to charge your phone, go on the computer, do your work, get to work, electric car, where are you going to plug it into? This is such a serious problem, though. <laughs> it's just, uh, it, you almost sound like you know the sky is falling when you talk about things like this. It's, it's, it's right in there with the people who are trying to warn us that the oceans are dying, that Large swaths of the ocean don't have fish in it, don't have fish that we can eat. Um, there are all these things, you know, that are in the on deck circle. And we've got a taste of it from the pandemic. And so we know just how bad things can get when we're not ready. And Texas was not ready, didn't believe it could happen, didn't believe in climate change. So, therefore, why would they try to protect? Their substations where the electricity is sent from neighborhood to neighborhood. Why would they do that? Why would they do anything to make sure the natural gas pipelines are protected from the freeze in the ground? Why would you do it? Because there's no climate problem. People are paying a serious, serious price for the stupidity this week. And from the political philosophies of the Republican Party in Texas which is against regulation, so there is no regulation of any of this. They're against the federal government because they don't want some government in D.C. telling them what to do. Oh, But they'll take our help now. Yeah. I almost, I don't know, this just sounds like you don't want to condition anything on anything because, again, kids are in danger. Poor people are in danger. But you really don't, you really just want to say to these Texas politicians, yeah, we'll help you, but you're going to have to change. You're either in the country or you're not, and we're on this together, or we're not. And you can go your separate ways. The Republic of Texas, we don't need you. Don't worry, there won't be a civil war. And all the black and brown and poor people that want to get the hell away from you will be more than welcome. In the other 49 states. Yeah, maybe 46 states. And you can keep your Houston Astros and their cheating ways too, by the way. Just have to get that out there. And your Bushes. W. W. Oh, W. He seems so so sweet and charming now, doesn't he? We're going to pay for his wars, at least for the rest of my life, many of your lives. Trillions, hundreds of thousands of dead Iraqis, thousands of our own troops, thanks to the man from Texas who executed more than any other governor, death penalty man, George W. Bush. And while he was president for those eight years, he banned stem cell research. So, which means he banned. Using stem cells because some of those cells came from fetuses that had were known didn't make it to birth either because of miscarriage or abortion, and so the stem cells help scientists uh, deal with disease and epidemics and things. It's how it's how they, they it's one of the ways they they find out how the human body works and what you can do to give it some sort of uh, inoculation or or treatment or whatever, eight years we lost eight years of science in helping people's health because of Bush 's stem cell ban. I'm not going to go down the list any longer. You get the idea. We know what Texas is. We know what we've had to deal with, and we know what the children and the poor and the black and the brown have to deal with in Texas. So I'd like to figure Texas out and do figure out what to do about them. I think we're going to have a lot of Texans on our side after this. I think the light bulb went off in a lot of people's heads. And ultimately, as you know, my friends, we have to deal with an economic system that is unjust, it's unfair, and it's not democratic. They call it capitalism. I call it greed it has to be ended and don't don't worry i know remember you've been made stupid so we don't teach economics in our public schools what you know what capitalism means these days what socialism is what communism is all these th- terms get thrown around nobody really knows what it is yes without capitalism you will still earn you have the potential to earn a very good wage and also making sure that there'll be a safety net in case a day comes when you can not earn that wage. You'll be able to start a business. You'll be able to come up with a great invention that's good for all of us. All that stuff in a social democratic state. Until we have that, in other words, a state a government where we, the people, truly do control the government until we get rid of the Electoral College where, once that happens, we, the people, decide who the president is, and that's that. Sometimes it'll be somebody I like. Sometimes it'll be somebody I don't like, but it doesn't matter. The majority of Americans decided this is who they wanted to be, wanted to be president of the United States. Okay, that's called a democracy. What we have now is not a full, complete democracy. We get rid of that. Things like Texas have less of a chance of happening because the people, not the prophets, will make the decision. The profit motive will not be in charge. We, the people, will be. <sighs> I'm sorry. The people of Texas probably, many of them can't even listen to what I'm saying right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry what's been done to you. I think I can speak for most people listening to this that we care deeply, that we've been crushed witnessing what has happened to you, that we will do whatever needs to be done to stop the madness and the stupidity in Texas. And this Republican party, so many, so many crimes against the people. It's, don't worry, my friends, this, it will come to an end. People will rise up. They won't tolerate this. Not when they're freezing to death in their homes. Not when their kids have nothing to eat. And not when they're shipping, they're shipping in trucks with water bottles like they did for Flint. Once you privatize the, the very basic needs, just as they tried to do in Flint, they tried to make a profit off of water, which resulted in making the people drink from the river and poison every single person in the city and especially the lead poisoning of the children, 10,000 plus with permanent brain damage because we wanted to make a profit because we wanted to privatize the water system. They want want a privatized grid in Texas. This has to end. And by the way, those water bottles, you see them trucking in, let me just, just just so we understand the Flint math, you can look this up. The average American human uses about mm, 70 to 80 gallons of water a day for all the uses we use water for, from taking a shower to cooking to drinking water, brushing your teeth, doing your laundry for the dog and the cat, you know, add it all up, about 70 to 80 gallons a day per human in the United States. So let's just give the people in Flint 50 gallons a day. It's easier to do the math. And plus, you know, they're from Flint. They only need 50 gallons. 50 gallons. I'll do the math for, you You know, those water bottles, the, the ones that mostly they're 16 ounces. The average one that you drink water out of, uh, you know, Poland Spring or whatever, 16 ounce bottle. Okay. So, how do you get to 50 gallons? Uh, all right. So, there's eight of those, eight times 16. Now, so now you've got a gallon, right? Now, times 50. You do it, you got it. It's about 400 water bottles a day per person. Nobody in Flint ever got that. And that's why taking a shower went to once a month. And that was if you could get somebody and a friend or a neighbor or maybe a, a, a relative that lived in, in Ann Arbor or Lansing or Grand Rapids, you'd drive there to get a shower, get the kids a shower. You didn't do laundry. You had to go somewhere for that. Or you could do it in the poison water if you wanted to. The suffering. This has gone on in Flint for almost seven years. The suffering. And they're saying that the the water... So many pipes broke from the freeze in Texas. It will be months before they have the water back up and running. There are not enough water bottles in all the world to ship to Texas so that each human in Texas can have 400 water bottles a day of water. We're better than this. Many of us, most of us, are smarter than this. The enforced Stupidity and ignorance must be brought to an end. And no better time to do that than now. In the month or two after the idiot president was removed from office. I want to give a shout out here before we go on to our underwriter, SignalWire. It's a new video communications technology that's designed by couple of brilliant software developers who just happen to be from Michigan. If you're working remotely these days, whether it's with yourself or with a team, you know it's a struggle to keep everyone connected using the existing video communication tools. So I think you know which ones I'm talking about. <laughs> the reason for this is because these other tools to have these meetings online, they were designed for occasional scheduled meetings not to replace the daily face-to-face interactions that you have constantly all day long with the people that you work with. Signal Wire, though, is different. Not only is it an alternative to old video tools, it's an online alternative to the physical office itself. Signal Wire features always available video rooms. It's Great for creative types, for writer rooms, film studios, you know, whatever you're doing. It's a great way to sort of set up and organize your work life. And SignalWire has better audio and video quality and is more secure than the existing video tools. So go to signalwire.com, S I G N A L Wire, signalwire.com, and use when they ask you for a code, just type in my last name, M O O R E and you get a free 30-day trial. So try it out for free for 30 days. See if you like it. I think you're going to like it. SignalWire.com, and remember to use the code MORE, M-O-O-R-E, for a free 30-day trial. And once again, I thank the good people who founded SignalWire. I thank you for supporting this podcast here on Rumble. In other news, we haven't talked about COVID for a while, and I don't want to belabor this too much here today, but Man, oh, man. So we hit the half a million mark of deaths here overnight. What can you say about that? A half a million dead Americans. I even talk about the rest of the world, though. No. Just a half a million dead here. No action was taken when it was needed. No preparation was done, even though for years we were told this could happen. Something like this could happen. And now we're being told it will happen again. There will be future pandemics and the future could be next year or the year after that. What are we going to do to give science and whatever else needs the money and the help to protect our citizens? The mutations, you know, they talk about the UK variant or the South African variant, the Brazilian, listen, that does stop. It's almost, you got to stop watching the news. There's at least a dozen now, what they're calling homegrown variants. That means mutations that have taken place right here in the United States. Right here, right now. Will the vaccines everybody's getting, will it protect them from these? Somewhat, maybe? Yes? No? We don't know is the answer, actually. We will know. And if we find out that they don't, we get, then we all got to line up for another shot. And then another shot after that, my friends This is why Biden is trying to make this job one and put this as the top priority. And we don't want to hear from a single goddamn Republican getting in his way, trying to stop this. These people who told us this was a hoax for a year and supported this past president. And his, even though he knew and he told Bob Woodward, and there's tape of this, can we just roll the tape again of what he told Bob Woodward? Nine, ten months ago.
2: This thing is a killer if it gets
1: you. If you're the wrong person, you don't have a chance. Yes, yes, exactly. This is a monster. This is a scourge. And there's
3: the plague.
0: There you go. See? He knew. Trump knew. And did nothing. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And now we've lost a half a million Americans more will die, many more. The doctors are all saying that these next three months of March, April, and May may be our deadliest months yet. I don't like hearing this. I don't like having to say it to you. I don't like saying it out loud. You probably already know this. There is nothing more important right now than fixing this problem and fixing it now. What part of this do I have wrong? What part of this are you willing to tolerate any longer? And, you know, for our part, we all have to quit kidding ourselves here. Just because we have these little peaks and valleys and the valleys that, you know, there's less people being hospitalized and less people being uh, tested positive, then we start to feel better. We can't feel better. I know you want to feel better. I want to feel better. I hate this. I know we're all going a little bat crazy over this, but my friends. When they say double up on the mask now, that's what they're trying. They're trying to tell us something. You know what they're trying to tell us? Double up on the masks. The masks, the hand washing and the social distancing are the three most important things we can do. On some level, more important than the vaccination, though, that has to happen. Every single teacher to the front of the line. Every single teacher has to be vaccinated. If I had kids in school um, school age, I would not have them go to school unless the teachers were vaccinated. And as soon as kids can be vaccinated, or at least teenagers, they should get it too. Please, anti-vaxxers, don't write me. I'm sorry you've confused an apple with an orange here. I don't know what to say. Everybody needs to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Well, Mike, I can't believe you just said that. You drank the Kool-Aid. <sighs> oh, man. My friends, everybody, this is criminal that we don't have enough doses, that Trump had no system set up to get those doses put in arms. I know Biden is doing the best he can do. He's, he's doubled since he took office the number of, of doses being given to people per day. The day he took office, there were something like eight, 800,000 doses going into American arms. Now it's it's one point seven million, so that's good. Still not enough. You know, we should try to get everybody vaccinated in a hundred days. That's three million doses a day. Now, to the people listening to this in other countries, um, I'm, you know, you're so good to me, and thank you for listening to this podcast. And you know that I have to spend a lot of time encouraging my fellow citizens um, to do certain things. You know, and I'm I'm aware. You're aware. You write to me. You say, you know what America does. America does. You say, you write to me and you say, I, you know what America does. It, it affects the rest of the world. I know, I know. We know. We're trying to fix it. You have to do what you can do, and we have to help you do it too. That's who we supposedly used to be, right? We not only helped ourselves, we helped we helped everybody else. At least we said we did. Did we? I think we did. I don't know. Maybe not. But right now, everybody is in the boat together. And we, my friends, Americans, we have to fix this right now. We have to insist that that Biden and company, that they be in charge of these factories that create the doses. The government has to run this program, not a private profit-making corporation. I'm not saying they have to work for free. The government can pay them, just like the government paid General Motors during World War II to build the tanks and the planes and whatever. But still, you can't leave the decision-making power up to them. We have to do this. We, the people, have to be in charge of the vaccinations, of beating covid and each of us have to wear those masks. Each of us, we cannot be meeting with people. We can't be in groups of people unless they're the people that live with us under the same roof. And we all know that's how this works. Even I just, oh, geez, I heard this, this awful story here this week of... You know that this couple, they wanted to get married and they were tired of putting it off. They put it off for a year and and so they decided to have a wedding with just themselves, both sets of parents, and the just the one bridesmaid and and one uh, best man. And they had it uh, at uh, I think it was the bride's house. So the bride had to work, wasn't able to, like a lot of people work from home, forced to go into work. Weeks later, um, her husband, her new husband's father was dead. Everybody else, nobody else worked, nobody else went anywhere, everybody else had been sort of staying to themselves except except she had to work. She did not have COVID at the time, but she did have it, and they determined that's how the groom's father got it at his son's wedding and died. Now I know, and I know because I'm just like all the rest of you. You have this this thing, well, you know. At least it's family. We're not gonna we're not gonna infect each other. We're all family. We all we all have been pretty careful, and you know, Gracie here had the you know she had to work, but she's very careful at work and kept her distance from people and. Did everything, and then, and then it kills her father-in-law at the wedding. It happened at the wedding. They traced it back. They figured this out, of course. But then they tested her, then finally, that she had it. And nobody else died. But wasn't that enough? Was it worth the wedding? Was it worth having the wedding? I guess so, because. You're in love. You want to be married and you were going to do it last June and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. And it's like, come on, we don't know anybody that's died of this, do we? No. Okay. You know, and then boom, unless you live with the people you're around, unless they live in the same house as you. And unless everyone in that house, Stays home. And this is the one thing the Chinese figured out after Wuhan. The, the number they said was that 70% of people who died in China or in, in Wuhan were killed by family members who picked it up outside the house. And, and then, even after they maybe were told at first that they had COVID, this is before the Chinese, you know, quickly built some COVID hospitals and boarding houses and hotels or whatever just for COVID people. Um, you know, they test them for COVID and they said, now you got to go back home, stay in your bedroom, you know, for 14 days and you'll get through COVID. Well, people went home and they infected each other. And that's what's caused a lot of what we're doing here because, well, this is my lifelong friend I'm with here. What could go wrong? These are my nieces and nephews visiting from across the state. We're all family. What could go wrong? Ignorance, my friends. We're all guilty of it. We need to be smarter. When you look on the list of countries and all this, we kind of look like the dumb country that's getting so many people sick and, and so many people dying. Come on. Come on. Enough of this. We've got some serious things in front of us and we need to make plans for it now. Not stick our heads in the sand. Mike, don't tell me the bad news. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm not telling it to you so that you'll get depressed. I'm telling it to you so that you and I and everybody else will demand that the government put everything possible into this. Dude, what do we do about these mutations? Where, what are we doing to protect ourselves from the next pandemic? That's our job as citizens. That's all I'm asking you to do. Is that a lot? Oh, I know, but it's so depressing. Yes, you're right.
3: It is depressing. It's very depressing. <laughs> but that can't paralyze us. If you sink into your despair, you're finished. We're all finished. Action is the antidote to despair. Action is the antidote. In a democracy, especially action. Action is what saves us. Thank you, Georgia.
0: You proved that to us. You showed us what action can do. To the 81, 82 million Americans that came out and voted for Biden, you showed us what action can do. It can crush a malignant narcissist and a fascist. Thank you for taking action. And when it comes to these mutations, when it comes to the next pandemic that's on its way, action and our brains, not our stupidity, our brains will figure out what we need to do
3: and we will stop it or we will contain it we will have a plan this time that's the country i want to live in
0: not an idiot nation a nation of people who've got a brain and want to use it am i asking for too much Yes, and we have to hold our hand out to Texas. We have to help them because there's going to be just enough Texans now to say, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired. But I'm not giving up. And I know you're not going to either. This is probably a good time to thank our other underwriter for this episode, HBO Documentary Films, and for their outstanding documentary from this year called Welcome to Chechnya. I'm sure some of you have seen this film already. If you haven't, I encourage you to see it. It was directed by one of our great documentary filmmakers, David France. David France was nominated for the Academy Award for his incredible film, How to Survive a Plague, an important documentary on the movement to bring about the containment of AIDS and HIV. It didn't happen on its own. It only happened through citizen action, and I mean hardcore citizen action, How to Survive a Plague, which was also edited by one of my editors, T. Woody Richmond, who was one of the editors of mine on Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9-11. David France also made another great documentary, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. This film right now, Welcome to Chechnya, has just been shortlisted for the Oscars this year, the upcoming Oscars this in April, and it's one of 15 films of the 230 qualified documentaries this year. David's film is one of the 15, and rightly so. These films of David's, too, I just want to say they have been at the forefront of exposing bigotry in our society of uh, especially anti-LGBTQ bigotry, championing the rights and freedoms of that community in America and around the world. And that's exactly what he has accomplished now, again, in this new film, which I urge you all to see, Welcome to Chechnya. It's a film about a group of activists who risk their lives to confront the ongoing persecution in the repressive Russian Republic of Chechnya. Now I don't I don't want to give too much away here about the film because so many of its subjects actually are still in danger. He, in this film, he uses a what is sort of a pioneering deep fake technology to digitally mask the faces of those you see in the film, but not in the old old school way, but also of these volunteers who are in Chechnya trying to end the madness. And in this The way he does this, he preserves their humanity while protecting their anonymity. Welcome to Chechnya has, it's been winning awards all year. It premiered at Sundance, a big hit last year at Sundance. It won the special jury prize for editing. And by the way, it was edited by another one of my editors, Tyler Walk. And Tyler was one of the editors of Where to Invade Next. David's film, Welcome to Chechnya, was also the winner of the Courage Under Fire Award at the International Documentary Association Awards. Um, It won the Producing Award at Doc NYC, an incredible film festival here in New York City. And it won four prizes, including the Audience Award at the Berlin Film Festival. It's now available on HBO Max. And I'll have a link to it right here in the description right here on my podcast website. I want to thank again, HBO documentary films for supporting this podcast for supporting my voice and for supporting such powerful films as Welcome to Chechnya. An old friend of mine passed away this week. His name was Jim Ridgway, James Ridgway. You may have heard of him. He was a political writer and investigative reporter for the village voice for over 30 years. He started his journalism back in the fifties when he was writing for the new Republic. He was the I believe, the first person to write about Ralph Nader. He came across this, this lawyer who was doing this investigation into general motors and this car, this very, very unsafe car that general motors built. And he did a story on Ralph Nader in the new Republic. And a year later, Ralph Wrote his first book, Unsafe at Any Speed, and boom, that was the end of that car. Ridgway then, through his investigative reporting, discovered that General Motors had hired spies that followed Nader and violated his privacy. Wrote that story that resulted in General Motors having to apologize to Nader and having to pay Nader an out-of-court settlement as a result of them interfering with his life. That's, that was the beginning, near the beginning of Jim Ridgway's um, journalism career. I first met him when I was at my office in Flint one day, and a knock on the door, uh, and I go to open it, and uh, he introduces himself as Jim Ridgway. <laughs> and I read the village voice, the, the the postmaster told me in town that, you know, there's there's only like two people here in Flint. <laughs> That read the that get the village voice sent to them, and you're one of them. <laughs> I should have asked. I probably because I believe in privacy, so I didn't ask who the other person was, and maybe my life would have been uh, down a whole different road. But um, there he was, Jim Ridgway, at the door. I said, "Oh, cool. Yes. Wow. Why are you in Flint?" And he said, "Well, I'm doing a story on the rise. This is not. This is in the '80s. This is when the." The first big round of layoffs started taking place at General Motors. I'm here to do a story on how the the Klan and the neo-Nazis and these uh, white supremacists are taking advantage of the what was then the 29% employment rate in Flint, 29% unemployment. And they were convincing a lot of people, a lot of white people to join their group. And so he wanted to do a story on that. And he and this other this filmmaker were thinking of coming and doing a documentary on it. They were thinking of coming to Flint, and and uh, they had heard that the that all these white supremacist groups wanted to have like a big big national gathering just outside of Flint, and they were thinking of filming. and And did I know anything about these groups? And I said, <laughs> yes, I know a lot about them. I've interviewed them. I've uh, gone to their their places where they worship, and. Um, he said, "Wow, can I? Can you show me a, you know, some back issues or whatever your newspaper this paper that I started called the Flint Voice?" And um, I said, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And I gave him some back copies of stories I'd done on the local white supremacists. And he he said, yeah, well, you know, we're probably going to want to get back in touch with you." And they did. And the other his, uh, his partner was Kevin Rafferty, the filmmaker, documentary filmmaker. I spoke of number of months ago because he also passed away this year and so they asked me if I would help them and come with them on the shoot it's the first time I'd been on a movie shoot and wow I was like really so impressed with their work and everything they were doing and then but by the end of the first day they were they were kind of rattled by the by these clan guys Nazis and they said you know um you know because you're kind of from here would you mind like doing the interviews like, we'll give you questions and you'll have your own. But I said, no, yeah, sure. I'm not afraid of these guys. It's no problem. So is the first time I like did anything like this on camera. This is 1980, 85, 86. And if you watch the film is called blood in the face, which is, uh, it's something from the Bible that says you can essentially it's how they white people are identified because if, if you touch the skin, pinch it, slap it, whatever it turns red, you see the blood. Whereas in their, in their, in their religion of how they viewed this, that um, people of color don't show blood as easily. So blood in the face is the name of the documentary, if you want to look it up. And you'll see a very young me sitting and breaking bread with these uh, Nazis and Klan types and, and then getting in their face. Um, and. I can say, once I saw the film, I thought, oh yeah, now I know why they didn't want to interview these guys themselves, because it, did, it looks, it didn't feel scary in the moment, but I, when you see the film, it, I mean, it will look somewhat scary that I rattled the white supremacists in the way that I did, but it also gave me an idea that maybe I should think about making a movie. That That is the great gift of Jim Ridgway and Kevin Rafferty, that they had me be part of their film i learned how to do it essentially quick learner i think i hope and uh a year later i was making roger and me for the next three years basically trying to teach myself but kevin mostly and jim somewhat also teaching me and whenever i needed to go to dc you know uh, that's where jim lived it's where he did his reporting. He was the Washington bureau chief for the Village Voice. And so I spent time with him, his wife, Pat, son, David, such good people. And I, um, Jim was a person that was critically responsible for, I can trace the line from this microphone that I'm speaking into all the way back to Kevin Rafferty and James Ridgway. And Jim died this week. At the age of 84, the Times had a nice obituary about him and the work he. the last 10 years of his life he spent on trying to get rid of solitary confinement, which the UN and all human rights groups have, de- have declared a, to be a crime, to be a human rights violation. He lived his whole life like this. I haven't seen him in a number of years. It makes me feel bad, but I, you know that list I told you about how I've been I made a list of people in their 80s and 90s that I know that I I, each week I call one of them just checking in how you doing staying in touch during this pandemic I've had some great conversations and Jim was on the list but I hadn't gotten to him and I felt so bad when I it was in the Times that's how I found out it was in the Times on their their website there it was and um, actually Basil our, our producer here sent me the link, and that's that's really it. Was popped up on my screen. That's how I saw that he was dead. So many people have died this year. I mean, not just people I know, but people you know, people we all know. I don't know. As I have said about Kevin, about Terrence McNally, about Hank Aaron... They all live. They all live on. I'm not talking about heaven or whatever, however you, whatever you believe or whatever it's. um, But they live on in us. The effect they had on us, what they did for us, the love they gave us, the inspiration they gave us. Whatever it was, whatever we do for the rest of today or tomorrow, there's a little tiny piece of them in us. I know, I know that for a fact about Jim Ridgeway because I'm doing it right now. I'm talking about the things that he wrote about. He wrote about for 60-plus years of his journalism. So it was sad to learn this this week, and I um, am grateful for his friendship I'm grateful for his inspiration. I'm grateful for him knocking on my door that day in Flint because I don't know. I might, I might be doing something else right now. I wonder sometimes. You probably have the same things that happened in your life one little decision and one small day and everything changed. You didn't know it at the time. But when you look back now, that person you met, that book you read, that child who was suffering, whatever it was, something in you clicked, and you became a different, a better person. And so, to that extent, Jim Ridgeway lives on, as will you and as will I. And all the 500,000 to half a million who've died this year, let's make sure they didn't die in vain. Let's make sure every single one of them, and what they gave us, lives on in how we act what we do yes how we vote everything what we do for texas and the texans that way death isn't death <sighs> maybe that's what the 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 hebrews traveling through the desert for 40 years or the early christians or the whatever buddhists all had the sense that This wasn't really the end, that there was a life after death. And so, you know, maybe, I don't know. They came up with this idea. They wrote it in a book. But what I do know is that it does. It does go on after us if, especially if, we've lived a life where we gave, where we sacrificed, where we did something. then we live we live on thanks so much for listening to this episode wow we begin with the death of Rush Limbaugh the deaths of Texans victims of ignorance and stupidity of those in power COVID, the dead and the dying that we continue to live with, and my good friend Jim Richway. I'm okay. (laughs) I am just reflecting on the importance of all of this and the good, the good that can happen. The good, I believe that. I believe it because I'm going to get up from this chair and do something, and I hope you do too. My thanks to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, to all the people who listen to and support this show. Send me an email here at mike at michaelmore.com if you want. I read all my email. Leave me a voice message here. There's a link right here on the podcast page. Um, Tell people to listen to this. Share it. It's all free. Um, And um, I'm grateful. Grateful to all of you who participate in this with me. Thanks a lot. I'm Michael Moore, and this is Rumble.
2: I noticed that this ceremony, your corrupt ways, had finally made you blind. I can't remember your face anymore. Your mouth has changed, your eyes don't look in the mind. The priest wore black on the seventh day, and sat stone face while a Waiting for you on the running boat Near the cypress tree while the springtime turned Slowly into autumn